Welcome, all you liars, infidels, and fools. My name is Haley. And my name's Brandy. And we are Easy Killer. Easy Killer. Easy Killer. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to Brandy the Killer. My name is Brandy. I want to express my gratitude for you picking my podcast to listen to. As we get started in this series, I want to just put in a warning. Some of these cases are going to be a little bit too much to handle. They are. Some of these cases will involve children. This case is about Shanda Shearer. Shanda was born to Jacqueline Vaught and Stephen Shearer. And Shanda was born June 6, 1979. She was born in Pineville, Kentucky. Shortly after she was born, they moved to New Albany, Indiana. It was said that Shanda was a wonderful child, very bubbly, smile, very independent. She was happy. She loved her family, loved her friends, and was just an all-around wonderful child. When Shanda was three years old, her mother and father ended up separating and then eventually went on to get a divorce. It was said that it was a very amicable split and that they ended up becoming, you know, they were friends and that Shanda would go there on the weekends and he ended up remarrying down the road. And so did Jackie. Jackie ended up marrying a man in Louisville named Ronnie Ott, and he worked at Churchill Downs, and with both of their income, she was able to live the lifestyle that she kind of wanted to live. And her mother kind of pushed her to marry Ronnie, so they ended up being happy for a little bit. Up until about four years passed, and Ronnie ended up getting very jealous and would like basically accused Jacqueline of doing things she wasn't doing so she ended up filing for divorce and then ended up moving back to Indiana. At this time Shanda started going to Hazelwood Middle School. She was supposed to start in September. It was said the night before she started school she was nervous and just like any other normal kid trying to pick out what she was going to wear the next day. Being 12 I think everybody went through this where they're like Oh my God, what am I going to wear? What am I going to do? Are they going to like me or are they not? And her mother basically calmed her fears and said, they're going to love you. Everybody does. Just relax and have a good day tomorrow. It was very short-lived. Two days later, Shannon ends up coming home for getting into a fight. She was sticking up for somebody um, that wanted to break up with her boyfriend but didn't want to tell them. So Shanda ended up walking up and saying, hey, they don't want to be with you no more. Well, the boyfriend ended up having a friend there named Amanda Hevering who ended up attacking Shanda and fighting her. And they both ended up getting detention. In detention, they became close and became friends. Jackie was kind of still upset about it. Like, girl just scratched her head up and hit you and hurt you. And you want to be friends with her? I don't understand, you know. Um, But Amanda and her became really close friends. Unbeknownst to Shanda, Amanda actually had a girlfriend, and her name was Melinda Loveless. Now, I'm going to stop Shanda's story right here and talk a little bit about Melinda Loveless, because she is one of the main characters of what happened. So, Melinda Loveless was born in New Albany on October 28th of 1975. She was the youngest of three daughters to Marjorie and Larry Loveless. Larry was said to have been drafted into the Army 
during the Vietnam War and was treated like a hero upon his return. Marjorie later described him as a sexual deviant who would wear her and her daughter's underwear and makeup and was incapable of staying monogamous and had mixtures of jealousy, fascinations with seeing her have sex with other women and men, and they lived in or near the New Albany throughout Melinda's childhood. So basically, Larry worked irregularly for the Southern Railroad after his military services, and his profession allowed him to work whenever basically what was most convenient to him. In 1965, Larry became a probationary officer, but that didn't last long because guess what? Not a shocker. He ends up fighting a black man because he thinks that they had sex with his wife, Marjorie. And in 19, about 1974, Marjorie had worked intermittently since then, and both parents, while they were both working, they ended up having, you know, being financially well off so the kids did good but it was said that Larry never shared his money he blew it and then basically the kids would look hungry look starving and during all this that he was making Marjorie have orgies making her have gangbangs and it was said that he had raped her numerous times in front of the three girls so this man was a very very bad man and the extent of Larry's abuse to his daughters and children is still unclear, but various court statements claim he fondled Melinda as an infant, molested Marjorie's 13-year-old sister, and that basically Amanda slept in the bed with him until he left and when she was 14. But Amanda's cousin Teddy said that Larry tied all three of the sisters, including Melinda, up and raped them in, in the garage all one night. But this was never proven in court. Larry was verbally abusive to his daughters and fired a handgun and then he would embarrass them by when they had company over would pull out their underwear and smell it and laugh and make jokes about how it smelled in front of other family members. This guy was a horrible piece of shit. Excuse my French. So for two years when Melinda was five they basically got involved in being in the church and but that didn't last long because you know, knowing them, they, he ended up, for some reason, getting kicked out of that. So in 1990, Larry was caught spying on Melinda and her friends, and Marjorie attacked him with a knife. And he was sent to the hospital after he attempted to grab it. I guess it cut him, and she then attempted suicide again, and her daughters called authorities. After this incident, Larry filed for divorce and moved to Avion Park, Florida. Melinda felt crushed because she had this toxic bond with him. And sometimes people form a bond with their abuser, and they think that they can do no wrong. Especially, uh, it really upset her when Larry remarried, and he stopped talking to her and severed all ties with her. So that made her very, very pissed. So basically, this is around the same time that she's starting to see, you know, Amanda and her and Amanda are boyfriend and girlfriend. So Amanda comes in as this kind of savior for her. She's in love with her. And fast forward to a couple years together, they're hanging out and then you see Shanda come in the picture. So when they had detention together, Shanda, uh, Melinda ended up getting, being late that day just so she can be in, attention, in detention with Amanda and Shanda and she watched them for a while pass notes giggle and this whole time she was fuming mad and after detention she turned around and said I want to see the notes and Amanda's like no you're not so basically 
Amanda, uh, Shanda was like, what's going on? We're just friends. And Melinda was not having it. It was said at that very moment, that's when she started hating Shanda Shear. This wasn't a, oh, I hate you. This was a deep hatred. Like all her anger, I'm guessing all her repressed stuff she was dealing with way back then, all that was coming into, and she was focusing on the wrong person. Somebody with a borderline personality disorder does this a lot because they take all their anger and put it towards one person when they're not, that person was never the cause of their issues. Um, and sometimes their actions can be uncontrollable. I'm not giving her an excuse because she deserves everything that happened to her at the end of all this, but that's just my opinion on that part. So Amanda would basically lived in a poor part of town, and her she lived with her father because her mother ended up abandoning abandoning them when they was younger. So Amanda was kind of raised by her dad, and I remember in the book it said that. Amanda's dad had asked her, are you a lesbian? And she would be like, no, she didn't feel safe about coming out to her dad. So she didn't want any of that. Well, things start going, moving at a quicker speed and Amanda and Shanda become real close. Close enough that they, that, Sh- that Melinda is getting extremely mad. And on September 13th of 1991, Amanda wrote Shanda saying that she will help her learn how to fight and asking her if she likes girls. And three days later, Amanda wrote to Shanda, do you still like me? If so, I'm glad. I have also something in store for you Friday and Saturday when I see you. So speaking of that, Friday and Saturday, I think Shanda was going to stay the night over there. And I assume that's when they had their first sexual encounter. Now, mind you, Shanda's 12 and Amanda's 15. Now, mind you, at this time, Jackie's thinking they're just friends. Jackie's not thinking anything sexual. This was back in the early 90s. So none of that stuff was actually going through anybody's heads, um, parents' heads, uh, you know, of asking your kid if they're a lesbian or if they're not because it just wasn't like how it is today. So, Shanda goes and stays the night over there. It was said that when she, that next day, she was like really withdrawn. I'm guessing she's starting to realize she's not, I mean, I guess they had sex that night and she's starting to realize, hey, I don't know if I want this or, you know that, I think every girl's been through that. The first time we try anything in a sexual, we have all this grief and I don't know or sadness sometimes like there was we supposed to do that we feel kind of guilty we want to tell our parents but then we don't want to get in trouble either so it's like who do you turn to it was said another letter was written and Shanda basically received it and then Amanda said I loved last night also we can do that again if you want Shanda was confused She told Michelle Durbin she was bisexual because she liked boys more. And at this time, Melinda is hearing Shanda is just a friend. Shanda started to get letters from Melinda that was cool at first and then it kind of like flipped into saying um, things that were not cool. Basically saying you need to stay away from her, making physical threats to Shanda about Amanda saying that she needs to stay away from Amanda and if she don't she's gonna beat her up and it all came to a head when one day Melinda found a heart-shaped paper in Amanda's locker from Shanda and on it Shanda wrote 
Shanda loves Amanda. So Melinda shoves it in Shanda's face and grabs her by the back of the hair and pulls her head down. And Shanda's still denying it, but she told her, you need to stay the fuck away from Amanda or else. Basically, Amanda loved the attention of them two girls fighting over her. So she was playing on both into each other, which was making it lead to a deadly conclusion. Melinda was pissed and never went to dances and eventually end up one day deciding to go to a dance and that's where she sees Amanda and Shanda at this dance. She walks up and smacks Amanda right across the face and she tells her, how could you do this to me? You know, I love you. Basically, and Amanda's still like, oh, what are you talking about? It's nothing like that. And Shanda took off running and was crying and was really upset. It was said at this time that Melinda broke up with Amanda, but I don't know how true that is. And Melinda would start dating another girl named Carrie, basically to make Amanda jealous. You know how kids are. And Shanda had, at this time, stopped kind of talking to Amanda and was talking to some boys at school. One was named Ray and one was Mike. Of course, Amanda didn't like this. Of course, she's not getting any attention anymore. What is she gonna do? And basically at this point, Jackie's like, look, you need to stop hanging out with Amanda. She's a bad influence. But still, sadly, Shanda did not listen to her mother. She ended up sneaking off and hanging out with Amanda still. And this is when Shanda and Amanda would sneak and go to Harvest Homecoming, which is like a festival they do every year in New Albany. And they ended up being spotted by Melinda. And this is where it said Melinda was basically, I wish she would die. I can't stand her. I hate her. Someone needs to kill her. Basically making threats of that nature. And from this day forward, she would make a lot more threats like this, but nobody seemed to think that she was serious. During this time, Jackie and Steven noticed that uh, Shanda was changing in the months ahead. She started wearing looser clothes. She started, stopped fixing herself up, basically trying to look more like a boy than a girl. And she actually made the basketball team and they didn't want her basically being involved with all, you know, she, they basically didn't want a gay daughter. And I'm not saying this is against them or nothing, but back in those days, I think they started noticing um, her liking girls and then it kind of turned into, hey, um, no, we're gonna try to stop this because I think back then there wasn't enough knowledge to say you can't stop something like this. But we shall move on. She basically would stop at this point going to baseball basketball practice and she didn't want to do much of anything anymore she started staying in her room a lot with the door shut and not doing homework shanda was forging her report cards and her mom found out and she, that she was failing classes she told her mom that if she broke up with amanda and stopped really seeing her for good girls would hurt her really badly and she needed amanda to protect her and of course, Jackie's like, that is absurd. Nobody's going to touch you. Nobody's going to, you know, do anything to you. But basically, Shanda was just really scared of being hurt. She didn't want to be hurt. Now, this is the first time that Jackie has ever heard of Melinda Loveless. 
And she basically asked, who is trying to hurt you? Who is trying to hurt you? And she said, Melinda Loveless. And that's the first time that she had ever heard that name. Shanda was told to stay away from Amanda, and that drove Amanda crazy. It was said that Amanda would call the house constantly looking for Shanda, and Jackie would be like, she's not here. So finally, she would start calling three-way, having somebody else call, and then that's how they would talk. I mean, it was basically like Amanda was just digging, digging, digging. So Melinda didn't want her no more but was still pissed about her seeing Shanda and Shan and basically Shanda's like I don't want to see you either anymore but she can't pull away from her so Jackie basically ended up calling Amanda's dad and saying hey you need to do something about your daughter I'm sick of it she keeps basically calling she's harassing my daughter and this this and that and then she eventually tells Amanda's dad hey I just want to let you know your daughter's gay which I don't agree with. I don't think she should have outed her. But I think at this point, any mother can understand that when you're furious and you're upset and you're mad, you sometimes say things and do things that you wouldn't normally do in a normal situation. So, of course, she's seeing her daughter upset and mad from the notes that I've read. I don't think she did it out of spite, but I'm not sure. And basically, Amanda's dad was like, what's going on? She's what? So, it's saying that Shanda tried to mail a letter to Amanda, saying that she missed her and will always love her, but poor Shanda didn't know the concept of mail and didn't put a stamp on it. So when she put it in her mailbox, basically the mail lady didn't take it or they sent it back and Shanda's mom ended up getting it. And she basically set Shanda down and ask Shanda you know are you gay and Shanda's like no I just don't feel like I should be loved by anybody and that's about when she started expressing that she was depressed you know and sad and that's when Jackie decided to take her out of Hazelwood you know middle for good and so she put her in um, Our Lady of Perpetual which it's a big longer word <laughs> but at this point, Shanda is pissed. She's upset. She Amanda's still wanting to be with her. Uh, Shanda's just like upset at this point. You know, she don't want to move schools. So Amanda and Shanda made a plan to meet up at the dance. Um, at the at you know Shanda's new school, but Melinda found out and made Amanda tell Shanda she didn't like her and didn't want to see her again. Then Shanda basically leaves the dance crying and upset again, not the first time, and basically crushed. And at this point, I think this is when she starts seeing like, I'm at a different school, I can get away from them, I don't have to worry about it, I'm done. So November 26, she, Amanda got a letter from, from Melinda and it said, I'm real mad at you. I want to cry. I want Shanda dead. Not long after the letter, Amanda's dad found all of her letters in her in Amanda's room. He was shocked. He had basically had told, went to Melinda's parents and said, you need to keep your daughter the frick away from my kid. And basically everybody, you know, it's small Baba town, they're freaking out. You need to keep your daughter away from my kid. You need to keep your daughter away from my kid. But 
still at this point, Melinda's still blaming Shanda. Even though Shanda's at a totally different school, Shanda's not really talking to her no more. And it's still, she has all this hatred for Shanda. I think deep down, she just hated her. And it had nothing to do with Amanda and had nothing to do with anybody. I just think deep down, she really hated her. So she started getting, um, basically asking, Melinda started doing weird things and she was basically asking, you know, how do you kill people? How do you get rid of a body? Um, she started getting friends and asking them things like this and everybody's like, what, you know, what's going on? Shanda at the same time was cutting all ties with everybody. Basically, she would just want to start new at her school and she had new friends and a boyfriend and Amanda was just so upset. And I think Amanda was basically feeding that into Melinda at this point. I doesn't say that, but I think that she had to still be playing it like like uh, Shanda still wants her when in fact Shanda didn't. And I would put money on it that if there was an interview with Melinda Loveless, she would tell you around this time, Amanda was basically still at this point still telling her, hey, she loves me, you know, or something of that nature, or she still thought it was going on. So on January 2nd, um, Shanda wrote a letter to one of her friends saying she wished Amanda would just leave her alone, that Amanda was stalking her, and she would not listen and just stay away from her. In the next couple of days, she had no idea what was in store for her. Just nine days later, she would be murdered. Melinda became friends with someone named Lori Tackett. Now, Lori, Lori was born in Madison, Indiana on October 5th, 1974. Her mother was a fundamentalist Pentecostal Christian, and her father was a factory worker with two felony convictions in 1960. Tackett claimed that she was molested at least twice when she was a child, ages 5 and 12. In, in May of 1989, her mother discovered that Tackett was changing into jeans at school and after a confrontation that night, attempted to strangle her. Social workers became involved and Tackett's parents agreed un to unannounced visits and to ensure that child abuse was not occurring. Tackett and her mother came into periodic conflict. At one point, her mother went to Hope Ripley's house after learning that Ripley's father had purchased a Ouija board for the girls. She demanded that the board be burnt and that Ripley's house be exercised. Tackett became increasingly rebellious after her 15th birthday and also became fascinated with occult. She would often attempt to impress her friends by pretending to be possessed by the spirit of Diana the Vampire. Tackett was very strange. She began to self-harm, especially after 1991 when she began dating a girl who was involved in the practice. Her parents discovered about the self-mutilation and checked her into a hospital March 19th of 1991. She was prescribed an antidepressant and released. Two days later, with her girlfriend, and Tony Lawrence, Tackett cut her wrist deeply and was returned to the hospital. After treatment of her wound, she was admitted to the hospital psychiatric ward. Tackett was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. Not shocking. She says she was experiencing hallucinations since she was a young child. She was discharged on April 12th. She dropped out of high school in September of 1991. Tackett stayed in Louisville in October of 1991 to live with various friends. There she met Melinda Loveless. 
The two became friends in late November, and in December, Tackett moved back to Madison on the promise that her father would buy her a car. She still spent most of her time in Louisville, New Albany, and by December, she spent most of her time with Loveless. Also, I want to say there are two more people that is involved in this murder, and one of them is Hope Ripley. Hope Ripley was born in Madison, Indiana on June 9, 1976. Her father was an engineer at a power plant. Her parents divorced in February of 1984, and she moved in with her mother and siblings in Quincy, Michigan for three years. She claimed that living with her family in Michigan was somewhat turbulent, and her parents resumed their relationship in Madison in 1987. She was reunited with friends Tackett and Tony Lawrence, whom she had known since high school, although her parents saw Tackett was a bad influence. As with the other girls, Ripley began to self-harm at 15, and her and Tony Lawrence, which was the other female that was involved, were really close friends, and Tony was born in Madison in February of 1976. Her father was a boiler maker, and she was a close friend with Ripley since, high, since childhood. She was abused by a relative at nine and was raped by a teenage boy at 14. Although the police were only able to issue an order for the boy to keep away from Lawrence, she went into counseling after the incident but did not follow through. She became, she became promiscuous and began to self-harm also and attempted suicide in the eighth grade. So all of this comes together on one fateful night. On the night of January 10, 1992, Tony Lawrence, age 15, Hope Ripley, age 15, Lori Tackett, age 17, drove in Tackett's car from Madison to Melinda Loveless' house in New Albany. Tony, who was a friend of Tackett, had not met Melinda Loveless at this time. Though Hope had met her once before and had gotten along with her, upon arrival, they borrowed some clothes from Melinda and she showed them a knife, telling them that she was going to scare Shanda with it. While Lori and Tony had never met Shanda prior to this night, Lori had already known of the plan to intimidate the 12-year-old girl. Melinda explained to the other two girls that she disliked Shanda for being a copycat and stealing her girlfriend. Lori let Hope drive the four girls to Jeffersonville where Shanda stayed with her father on the weekends, stopping at McDonald's restaurant en route to ask for directions. They arrived at Shanda's house shortly before dark. Melinda instructed Hope and Tony to go to the door and introduce themselves as friends of Amanda's, then invite Shanda to come with them to see Amanda, who was waiting for them at the Witch's Castle or Mistletoe Falls, a ruined stone house located on an isolated hill overlooking the Ohio River. Shanda said that she could not go because her parents are awake, and she told the girls to come back around midnight a few hours later. Melinda was furious and so angry, but Hope and Tony assured her that they were going to return for Shanda later. The four girls crossed the river to Louisville, Kentucky and attended a punk rock show by the band Sunspring at the Audubon Skate Park near Interstate 65. Tony and Hope quickly lost interest in the music and went to the parking lot where they engaged with sexual activities with two boys in Lori's car. Eventually, the four girls left for Shanda's house. During the ride, Melinda said that she could not wait to kill Shanda. However, Lovis also 
said she just intended to just scare her with the knife. When they arrived at Shanda's house at 1230, Tony refused to retrieve Shanda, so Lori and Hope went to the door. Loveless hid under a blanket in the back of the seat of the car with the knife. So during this, when they came up to the door earlier for, um, for Shanda, she basically couldn't go anyway because her parents were there and she was on her way with a friend to go to a neighborhood birthday party. And when she got back home, because she came in a little late, her dad told her that her friend could not stay the night with her, that she would have to go home, but they would need to be up early in the morning because the house was going through renovations. And then Stephen said as he was walking up the stairs, he turned around and looked at Shanda and told her, I love you very much. And Shanda said, I love you too, Dad. And those were the last words that Shanda ever spoke to him. Hope told Shanda when they arrived back later that Amanda was still at the witch's castle. Shanda was reluctant to go with them, yet agreed after changing her clothes. As they got in the car, Hope began questioning Shanda about her relationship with Amanda. Loveless then springed out of the back seat, put the knife to Shanda's throat, and began interrogating her about her sexual relationship with Amanda. They drove to her Judica and Witch's Castle. Lori told the girls that the local legend said that the house was once owned by nine witches that were townspeople and burned down the house to get rid of the witches. At Witch's Castle, they took a sobbing Shanda inside, bound her arms and legs with rope. There, Loveless taunted that she had pretty hair and wondered how pretty she would look when she cut it off, which frightened Shanda even more. And mind you, this is in the middle of January, so it is freezing outside. Melinda begins taking off Shanda's rings and handed each, each one to each girl. At some point, Ripley, which was Hope, had taken Shanda's Mickey Mouse watch and danced to the tune and played with it. Lori further taunted Shanda, claiming that the witch's castle was filled with human remains and that Shanda would be next. To further threaten Shanda, Lori then retrieved a shirt with a smiley design from the car and lit it on fire, but immediately feared that the fire would be spotted by passing cars, so the girls left with Shanda. During the car ride, Shanda continued begging them to take her back home. Please just let me go back home. I won't say nothing. Melinda ordered Shanda to slip off her bra, which she then handed over to Hope, who slid it on herself and replacing basically while she was driving Hope was teasing her with her own with Shanda's bra on. They became lost so they stopped at a gas station covered Shanda with a blanket while Lori went inside to ask for directions. Tony called a boy she knew from Louisville and not one time did she mention what was going on and they chatted for several minutes to ease her worries but did not mention Shanda's abduction. They returned to the car but became lost again and pulled up at another gas station. There, Tony and Hope spotted a few boys and started talking to them. And then again, not one time mentioned what was going on. So if they were scared or anything and they didn't want to be involved, they could have right there. Again, they didn't. They get back in the car, arriving sometime later at the edge of some woods near Lori's home in Madison, Indiana led them to a dark garbage dump off the logging road in a densely forest area. Tony and Hope were frightened and stayed in the car. Melinda and Lori made Cher strip naked. Melinda beat her with her fist. Next, 
Melinda repeatedly slammed Shanda's face into her knee, which cut Shanda's mouth open on her braces. Melinda tried to slash Shanda's throat, but the knife was too dull. Ripley came out of the car to hold down Shanda, Loveless, and Tackett, which was Melinda Loveless and Lori Tackett, took turns stabbing Shanda in the chest. Then they strangled Shanda with a rope until she was unconscious, placed her in the trunk of the car, and told the other girls that Shanda was dead. I just can't. I swear. This this is one, I think, because I have a daughter, or it's just, it just, sometimes you just need to take a breath. You know what I'm saying? Like, you hear these things happening, and you, you know the weather situation. You know it's freezing, and you know that that little girl, 12 years old, just got taken, being held by these people that she, she knows one of them's already evil. So she's assuming the rest of them after what they've done done to her so far. And then they start stabbing her and beating her and punching her. And then they place her into the car to be cold with no clothes, nothing. The girls ended up driving back to Lori's nearby home and went inside to drink soda and basically clean themselves up. And when they heard Shanda from the trunk, they were inside the house. They heard Shanda screaming from inside the truck. So Lori went out to with a paring knife and stabbed her more times, came back in covered in blood and had to wash everything off again. Lori told the girls their futures, basically their, like read their cards. And at 2.30, Tony and Hope stayed behind as Lori and Loveless, which is Melinda, went country cruising, driving to a nearby town of Cadian. Shanda continued to make crying and gurgling noises so Tackett would stop the car, which is Lori Tackett. She would stop the car. When they opened the trunk, Shanda sat up covered in blood, her eyes rolled in the back of her head, but unable to speak. Lori beat her with a tire iron until she was silent and then told Loveless to smell it. It was said at this point, she took, when she went back and did all this, it was said at this point that she took the tire iron and shoved it into Shanda's rectum and basically that's when she told Melinda to smell it after she had put it in her rectum. But of course, at this point, Melinda doesn't know that she shoved that into her rectum. Or so she says, but you can't believe a psychopath. Melinda and Lori returned to Tackett's house just before daybreak to clean it up again. Hope asked about Shanda and Tackett laughingly described the torture saying that every time she made a noise, every time she yelled, multiple times throughout the night they would stop, beat her, stab her, punch her and do all kind of things with the tire iron to her and then would continue driving. So this went on all night of seven hours basically. So when um, Hope asked if she could see what was going on, they took her to Shanda in the car and they lit and they had Tony basically rev the engine just in case Shanda would raise up screaming. And at this point, the conversation was waking up Lori's mom who yelled at 
her daughter about being home so late and bringing all these girls in. So Lori agreed to take them home. So they drove to the burn pile and when they opened the trunk to stare at Shanda, Lori, uh, Tony was basically starting to feel sick, but Hope grabbed Windex and sprayed it all in every hoe that Shanda had and basically said, you're not looking so hot now, are you? It's just so disgusting. What kind of person? They're not even persons. They're monsters. All the girls ended up driving to get gas near Madison High School, pumped some gasoline into the car, and brought a two-liter bottle of Pepsi. Lori poured out the Pepsi and refilled the bottle with gasoline. They drove north of Madison past the Jefferson Proving Point to Lemon Road off U.S. Route 421, a place known to Hope. Tony stayed in the car while Lori and Hope wrapped Shanda, who was still alive, mind you, in a blanket and carried her into a field by the gravel country road. Lori made Hope pour gasoline on Shanda and then they set her on fire. Melinda was not convinced Shanda was dead, so they returned a few minutes later to pour the rest of the gasoline on her. The girls then went to McDonald's restaurant at 9.30 for breakfast, where they laughed about Shanda's body looking like one of the sausages they were eating. Tony then phoned a friend, of course, at this time, she told her about the murder. I don't know why she could have stopped the murder, but she didn't. Lori then dropped off Tony and Hope at their homes and returned to her own home with Melinda. She told Amanda that they had killed Shanda and arranged to pick up Amanda later that day. A friend of Melinda's, Crystal Waffin, came over to Melinda's house and they told her what happened. Then the three girls drove to pick up Amanda and take her back to Melinda's house, where they told Amanda the story. Both Amanda and Walton were reluctant to believe the story until Tackett showed them the trunk of her car where Shanda's bloody handprints and sock were still present. Amanda was horrified and asked to be taken home immediately. When they pulled up in front of her house, M Melinda kissed Amanda, told her she loved her, and pleaded with her not to tell anyone. Amanda promised she would not before entering her house. Later that morning on January 11th of 1992, two brothers from Canaan were driving towards Jefferson Proving Ground to go hunting and they noticed a body on the side of the road. They called the police at 10.55 and were asked to return to the corpse. David Kim, who was later acquitted of killing his own family, and we will be doing um, a podcast episode on him was the first responding officer. Jefferson County Sheriff Buck Shipley and detectives began investigating, collecting forensic evidence at the scene. They initially suspected a drug deal gone wrong and did not believe the crime was committed by locals. 
Shanda's father, Stephen, noticed his daughter was nowhere to be found on January 11th. After phoning neighbors and friends in a panic, he calls his former wife, Jacqueline, Shanda's mother, at 1.45 p.m. They met and they found a missing person report with the Clark County Sheriff. At 8.20 p.m. that day, a hysterical Tony and Hope went to the Jefferson County Sheriff's Office with their parents in Madison, Indiana. They both gave a very rambling statements identifying the victim as Shanda, naming the two other girls involved as best as they could, and describing the main events of the previous night. Shipley contacted the Clark County Sheriff and was finally able to match the body to Shanda's missing person report. Detectives obtained dental records that positively identified Shanda Cher as the victim. Melinda and Lori were arrested on January 12th. The bulk of the evidence for the arrest warrant was Tony Lawrence's and Hope Ripley's statements. The prosecution immediately declared it intention to try both Melinda Loveless and Lori Tackett as adults. For several months, the prosecutors and defense attorneys did not release any information about the case, given the news media only the statements by Tony and Ripley. So, in this area, there was a ton of coverage on this because nobody could believe the horror that Shanda went through. Nobody, you know, from what they're hearing from their statements, that's all they have. So they're going, I mean, they're going everywhere. And you got to thank two grieving parents, two households, kids. And this was Jackie's youngest baby gone, 12 years old. You don't think that. You don't think when you put your kid down at 12 that they're never going to come back again. It's just sad altogether. And all four girls were charged as adults. And to avoid the death, to avoid the death penalty, the girls accepted plea bargains. Tackett and Melinda Loveless were sentenced to 60 years in Indiana Women's Prison in Indianapolis. Tackett was released in 2018 and served probation for one year. Melinda Loveless was released in September of 2019. Hope Ripley was sentenced to 60 years with 10 years suspended for migrating circumstances plus 10 years of medium supervision probation. On appeal, a judge reduced the sentence to 35 years. In exchange for her cooperation, Tony Lawrence was allowed to plead guilty to one count of criminal confinement and was sentenced to a maximum of 20 years. So Tony Lawrence got 20 years. Melinda Loveless and Lori Tackett ended up spending the longest 30-something years in prison, almost 40 years. And all of them are out now. So in October of 2007, Lori, uh, Melinda Loveless' attorney requested a hearing to argue for his client's release. He said that Melinda had been profoundly retarded by childhood abuse. Moreover, that she had not been represented completely by counsel during her sentencing, which caused her to accept a plea bargain in the face of exaggerating claims and so on, just so she wouldn't receive the death penalty because this would have been a death penalty case. Now, on January 18, 2008, Melinda Loveless' request was rejected, of course, because, you know, have uh, the brutally uh, murder of what happened. And she ended up taking it to the Supreme Court and it was denied by the Indiana Court of Appeals, upholding basically the ruling, meaning that she was going to stay in prison. So, 
Tony Lawrence was released December 14th of 2000, only after serving nine years in prison, and she remained on parole until December of 2002. And it's said that she's living somewhere in Madison, Indiana now with her two kids. On April 28, 2006, Ripley was released from the Indiana prisons and paroled after serving 14 years of her original sentence, so she didn't complete it. Lori Tackett was released from Rockville Correction on January 11, 2018, the 26th anniversary of Shanda's um, death after her serving t- nearly 26 years and had completed an additional year of parole. Belinda Lovelace was released from the Indiana prison September 5th of 2019 after serving 26 plus years in prison. She will, she will serve her parole in Jefferson County, Kentucky. So she lives in the same county that I live in now. And it's just astonishing to me that people can just, I know they serve their time, they say, but I feel that if you take a life that young, you don't ever need to be out. And I think a lot of people feel like that. I really do. I really do think a lot of people feel like that because of the brutality of the murder. So I just hope that this never happens again. It's very sad. And Jackie, you know, basically hope after she got out, she tried to go on Dr. Phil uh, and, you know, basically Jackie and Paige were there. And basically Jackie said, you had one thing to do, and that was to serve your full sentence for murdering my daughter. But you guys kept trying to get out. I will never forgive you. I could never forgive you for what you did. And then sadly, Stephen Scherer ended up drinking himself to death. And he ended up dying. So now he and him um, and Shanda are buried next to each other. And life just continued to move on sadly without Shanda and everybody's life. Amanda Herring has been in and out of prison and jail and the other girls just got out around this time. So all those lives have been ruined because of what? Jealousy? Would you blame this on jealousy? Would you blame this on her parents, Melinda's parents for, you know, bringing her into the violence and that's all she knew was violence. But I think after a certain extent, you they need to take responsibility for their own actions because I know people with horrible lives that didn't go out and kill a child I want to thank you guys for tuning in to my this podcast and I really appreciate it thank you so much you have a great day